fans assemble. Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and Tom Hiddleston are coming to Ace Comic Con at the Wamu Theater in CenturyLink Field Events Center June 22nd through 24th. Visit 150 comic writers, artists, and vendors with 30 hours of programming. Tickets available at acecomiccon.com. Episode number 122 of Blast Points is Jason. This is Gabe. And this week we are going to be talking about, like you heard in the beginning there, that Star Wars Atari 1983 arcade game Magic. It's got a crazy story. Back in 1983, the last hope of video games in a way. We're going to be digging into that. We got so much news to go over. It's been it's been quite a week. Yeah, it's been crazy. I think we finally hit Soul Overload, that there's just so much stuff as it is from Solo. And then this was probably the best, I think, May the 4th we've had in the last couple of years, because maybe because Solo's coming out so soon afterwards that we actually, I think we got a ton of cool stuff uh, announced and released. It's like the first May the 4th where we actually have a major Star Wars thing happening in May. <laughs> we didn't just get like... J.J. Abrams saying they're working on the script or whatever we got uh, for Force for Force Awakens. I'm in the kitchen making toast with Larry Kasdan. It's going to be great. It's going to be great toast. I've got lots of jam. <laughs> I'm rubbing my jam on J.J.'s toast. It's going to be amazing. So last week we were talking to Tom Spina, which if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. So we didn't have time to go over the news from last week, but there was announcement of a new Star Wars animated show coming, Resistance. It's the Resistance. 
assistance, yeah. I am with their assistance. Which sounds cool. We're finally, I mean, we're kind of keeping the same creative team as uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, but we're moving towards a more 2D anime style art style, which we still don't know if it's hand-drawn or like CG that looks like 2D animation, but it's exciting to get kind of a new style. And then it's a whole new time period, which kind of seems like the one we thought we would get, but it's still exciting time for new stories. Yeah. And it's coming out in the fall, which I was still just like, man, that's really soon. But it kind of makes sense without with solo coming out in, you know, two weeks or three weeks that, this is going to be, we've talked about before, our uh, Star Wars freak Christmas this year. So maybe Resistance will fill in the gaps in our heart and keep the Star Wars flame burning for the, uh, in the cold months. <laughs> the Star Wars fireplace. The Star Wars fireplace in our hearts will keep burning. Put another Resistance log on the fire. But it's exciting. We're supposed to get appearances by Poe Dameron, voiced by Oscar Isaac. Phasma is going to be making appearances with Gwendolyn Christie and... There's a new character. Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> Kazuda Ziona. So get used to that. So we got a new pilot. And then are we going to see are Ahsoka and Sabine going to show up? Is Hera going to be hanging out? Is Hera and Kanan's little green-haired kid going to be in it? Is Jedi Luke going to show up? Leia, Lando, Han, everybody could be there. Tally, Snoke, Young Huck, <laughs> Asty, all our favorite GA97. Maybe we get to see him get built. Okay. GA97 should be there. Peasy should be a whole episode about Peasy. <laughs> episode title It's Not Easy to Be Peasy. Her whole hip hop career as Peasy E. <laughs> <laughs> and her and 3PO and uh, R2 and BB8 start DWA. <laughs> Because we know, you know, we know, three uh, PO and R two can get down. So you know, they've just been waiting for PZE to show up to fill out the uh, to fill out the group. So we got a lot to look forward to in the fall. My name is three PO. Wrapping about states the new place to go. You can eat all you want, and you won't gain a pound because there isn't any weight here like back on the ground. We travel very fast near the speed of light. You can leave in the morning and get home last night. <laughs> I love the idea of spying on the growing First Order animated show. They were saying bold, more colorful animation style, anime inspired. I imagine we're going to be seeing our first real look at it probably pretty soon. Probably after the soul overload dies down, we'll start to learn more about Resistance. (laughs) Once it's all soul over. (laughs) (laughs) The the X-Wing kind of ship they show in the, the little art treatment with the logo is something different we haven't seen before, too. So it's exciting. Maybe, maybe we'll get some really cool new ship designs. I mean, that's like a, like a training X-Wing or something. I don't know. And then on May the 4th, we were treated to, like, what, new eight new Forces of Destiny shorts? Or it was a lot. But, yeah, if there was ever a run of Forces of Destiny episodes for us to talk about, I think uh, these ones... Or just for us. <laughs> we got the the full range of uh, Blast Point's favorites. <laughs> I I was like, well, look at that. It's the Gorax. And that would have been enough. But no, he's got to fight Nisa. Princess Nisa from the Ewoks cartoon. She's back. 
in more than one episode, too, because basically the season starts out with uh, Chopper and Friends, which another wacky uh, hijinks with uh, Hera and Chopper. But Chopper decides to get two Ewoks to help them in a space battle, or I guess not a space battle, but a, a ship battle. Did you notice the other Ewok with Nisa is, I think it's either Tokat or his brother Wonka? <laughs> <laughs> Wonka was the Ewok that helped Chewie in the AT-AT. So I think it's either him or his brother, Tokat. Which they haven't confirmed who, who what Ewok that is, but it looks like they're they're, they're hitting the uh, the heavy hitters on the bench, on the Ewok bench. I think you just want a ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get a ribbon coming in the mail to you. <laughs> I was a poser. I was just like, is that, is that Papaloo? No, I don't think so. I think the dark fur and the green the green hood. Narrows it down. But after that episode, they just kept keep the hits coming with a monster misunderstanding, which would have been cool enough to get another Padme story. But we basically get a rampaging Sando Aqua monster on Naboo looking for its baby. Aqua Monster, which it was, it was so cute. This episode, I was just like, "Holy smoke!" This, I was like, "Man, this episode is taking place before Phantom Menace, or maybe right after Phantom Menace." By like the Naboo guys, which I was just like, "Man, Naboo guys!" But they were like kneeling down in front of Padme. I was just like, "Yes, Your Majesty, it, it's not safe here. We can't stop the beast." How do you usually handle this type of attack? Well, we've never had to. These creatures don't normally come near land. Then it must be here for a reason. Let's find out what it is. Yes, your majesty. Yeah, I would think it's between Phantom Menace and clones where Padme's still the queen, but Anakin and the Jedi and the Trade Federation and everything are long gone. <laughs> and Padme's basically just telling them they're all idiots for... Why didn't you look in the in the hangar? There's some creepy guys with robot masks. You know, they're trouble. Yeah, it's like, man, how did Tito get to Naboo? He's got uh, his the Tito's gang. They're uh, galaxy wide. We're finally getting the backstory of Tito's gang. After that was uh, little Sabine and her little brother Tristan adventure um, called Art History. Yeah, the Vizla statue. That was pretty cool. With some Darksaber action. And then we got one just... Straight up called Porgs, a little chewy, try, just trying to do some work, and the Porgs are stealing all his wires, but it's just too windy, and they can't get the, the really soft leaves off the uh, Achu tree. What's it going to take for us to get animated old grumpy Luke Skywalker? How many more Forces of Destiny seasons do we have to do? I kept wanting him to like turn the corner, like, what's happening over here? It's going to, it's got to happen. Chewie, leave them alone. Well, at this rate, I mean, they're 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 raising the stakes every every run of episodes. If you would have asked me if half this stuff would have ever been in animated form, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> we we I was hoping too some caretakers were going to pop out from around the corner, but you know. But the next one was what I thought was really cool and kind of sets a exciting precedent with Forces of Destiny is they basically animated the deleted scene from Force Awakens um, with Ray and Finn running from the snowtroopers and their little speeder thing. So is Padme talking about Sweetheart going to be next? Are we going to get Anakin meeting Padme's family as a Forces of Destiny episode? Why not? 
deleted scenes are fair game now. Well, you know, and like they already kind of danced around that with Empire and the Wampas. Kind of. Yeah, you're right. Start. You're speculating now. Go through all the deleted scenes. What What's going to end up in Forces of Destiny next? Uh, Rebel pilot grandma. <laughs> the grandma squadron. Not now is the time. We're ready <laughs> for grandma squadron. You know, grandma squadron could show up in resistance. Maybe she'll be one of those one of the instructors. I still say she could be Tally's grandma. That could be a whole other series. Tally, Tally and her grandma. Maybe they'll be like, she's like, they're like Golden Squadron with all the uh, Golden Girls of Star Wars and Golden Squadron. <laughs> It'll be like in, like in Battleship when uh, all the old sailors show up at the end to fight the aliens in the, in the old ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nobody's talking about Battleship anymore. No, no, they should be. Thank you. You. I'm losing power. I'm moot. So next is yeah, when they're they're digging deep with uh, traps and tribulations. We get Nisa back, we get Wicket back, we get Luke and Leia action and the Gorax. I, I like that. Th- I feel like I already knew that the Ewoks were they were so good at making giant traps for giant things because they were constantly fighting the Gorax. It's kind of wild to get that kind of an official story thing now that, yeah, that's why they have traps. Duh. <laughs> what did you think? They just came up with that stuff overnight? No. <laughs> that Gorax, it's always giving them problems. That was not something I ex- expected to see. And I'm. Super happy we got it. That Force of Destiny was just one step away from somebody flying over playing Drop the Sack. <laughs> there's, you know, there's more episodes to come. Because in one little Forces of Destiny, they brought in the Ewoks cartoon and the Ewok adventure, Caravan of Courage. All the worlds are, are colliding, combining. Yeah, if Force of Destiny keeps going, we're going to get Mungo Baobab. It's going to happen. We're going to get Mungo Baobab finding, talking to Indiana Jones. In the in the uh, interdimensional being spaceship, it's all going to happen. I think that one too just keeps getting me pumped. That if Mark Hamill's doing Forces of Destiny, we're going to get some Luke in Resistance. We have to. I don't see how we're not going to get at least a little bit of Luke. He doesn't have to do Mark Hamill today, trying to sound like nineteen eighty three Mark Hamill either. He can do modern day Mark Hamill, which would be nice. And then yeah, the last one. Another one I didn't know I wanted until we got it was some Ezra flashback action of Ezra with his uh, blaster saber getting a lesson from Ahsoka. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, it's cool to hear uh, Taylor back and uh, doing the voice. And I kind of miss uh, long flowing hair, Ezra. You know, in that episode, it, it got to me where I was just like, oh, Ezra, I've missed you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the trash talk I've done about Ezra Bridger, Bridger over the years. And but then I started thinking, like, man, if old Ezra shows up in resistance, people are going to go nuts. And I was like, man, I'll go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people I'm talking about? I'm going to be going nuts. <laughs> I take it all back. I'm down with Ezra. Seeing you alive again brings warm feelings to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, overall, man, I think every time they release a batch of Forces of Destiny, they're just getting cooler and better and they're digging deeper with 
uh, where they're coming from, the stories. So keep. I hope they keep them coming. The choices we make, the actions we take, moments, both big and small, shape us into forces of destiny. I think we're ready to start talking about the solo overload. Solo is two weeks away, and we're in solo deep. <laughs> Han Solo. 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 Where do we even start? So much solo stuff going on. I think was that a week ago we got the was it like uh, making Han or what was that called kind of with a little behind the scenes stuff with Alden and Donald and Ron Howard talking about the character of Solo right with some new clips in it some real juicy stuff in there and they were talking yeah everything they were talking about was really interesting and then a giant worm lizard thing came out of a pool and I forgot all of it <laughs> I think it said, Jason and Gabe, I'm here. Uh, I'm here for you. Is it going to talk? It looked like it was talking to Moloch, right? We were already down with Moloch. And then it's, is that Moloch's dad? It's about Kylo Ren's dad. It's about Moloch's dad. When they said Moloch was part of the White Worm gang, I was like, oh, that's a cool name. The White Worm. Neat. I didn't think there literally would be a giant worm thing in the movie but there 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 appears to be that there is one so maybe we won't get jabba but we probably won't care <laughs> because they're they're filling our plate with treats <laughs> they're like you've already seen jabba a lot here's a white here's a giant white worm that lives in a pool he just hangs out in his hot tub telling Moloch what to do giant white worm celebrity hot tub maybe there's a musical number where he sings hot tub So that that was just the, that was just the beginning of solo solo madness solo overload. Ron Howard was on the Star Wars show last week, saying all the right stuff. It's the duality of the character: the idea that he's out for himself, he's got an outlaw spirit and code on the one hand, but he can't quite live it and walk it because he doesn't entirely feel it. The duality is he's a great guy, and he hates that about himself. Trying, <laughs> you know? to, trying to shake that good part of him. This story, it has a lot of fun with the characters, and when I say fun, you know, there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of excitement, and that is fun. But also part of the fun is identifying these qualities in Han, and also the characters around Han, so the relationships really shape him. They didn't take our advice and have Chewie go on all the talk shows, but at least we're getting Ron Howard doing the rounds, which is great to see. He was talking about um, the cameo from his brother Clint, Clint Howard. If it was Rocky, he's kind of the Burgess Meredith of the sort of underground droid battle world. He rubs L3 the wrong way. It's one cool scene, but he's a part of the introduction of L3. Oh, I keep forgetting there's droid fighting, too. It's like two weeks, two weeks away. Deep breaths. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. We got uh, some hot, chewy footage in uh, A Roar for Change. So they're keeping up the uh, the new Star Wars tradition of uh, doing something for charity. And this time, courtesy of sometimes diva, 
sometimes sweetheart behind the scenes Chewbacca footage. It's still true. You need to you need to get people pumped up to show Chewie walking in slow motion with the wind blowing his fur. People get hyped. People start feeling romantic. Things change in your body that you're not ready for. It's, it's springtime. Things start blooming. <laughs> there was a um, a great there was a great tour of Donald Glover taking you through Lando's Falcon. Yes, showing. Uh, oh, it's a par- it's a party vessel. It's got a bar. It's got a walk in closet. Got everything you need. Everything's patent leather. Uh, we got the sound system. It's pretty great. You don't want to touch any of this. Up here we have the guest quarters. Pretty awesome space. Over here. We have one of my favorite places on the ship, food and coffee bar. Make you a drink if you want, you know. Eh? Eh? Mm. This ship has probably never looked better than when Lando kind of had it. Just, uh, you want to party in space, you need the Falcon. Are, like, the, like, drink shakers, mixers, do they, do they like, magnetize? Oh, probably. Because, like, the Falcon's spinning around stuff. You think that stuff would be flying all over the place. Yeah, maybe they have, like, a magnetic bar. Maybe that's something, uh... Get Tom Spina to build a Star Wars bar with a magnetic uh, surface, so all your drink drink things just stick to the top. I need that because if anyone's ever been around me in any kind of situation where I've had one too many, I'm spilling everything. <laughs> there was a clip. We got our first clip of actual footage, like a like a bit of a scene from Solo. Han and Kira and Chewie in the cockpit of the Falcon, and if you listen really close. You can get a little sampler of the new score. What's going on? We need to divert auxiliary power to the rear deflector shield. We definitely do. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Chewie, get in. I'll help Ander. Yep, which was confirmed by John Powell, right? What does he say? A beloved character gets his well-deserved theme in the new clip featuring my solo A Star Wars Story score for Star Wars Day. So we get a little bit of Chewie's theme. Chewie's theme. Because when I first heard that, I was just like, is he riffing on John Williams' new Han theme? Maybe that's Chewie's theme. It sounded great. It starts out with the asteroid music. But I was just like, man, you know what that score like reminded me of? Like a Disney movie that would have came out like in the 60s or something. A cheesy word, but whimsical. I could see that. It definitely, yeah, it was had more of a, it was kind of more cheerful than I thought it would be. But yeah, it's cool to hear new uh, symphonic Star Wars music. The asteroid field music was, I wasn't expecting that, but if if they're ever going to bring it back, this, I guess, makes sense. It's the movie to do it in. So that was exciting. It's just going to keep coming. There was so much stuff. There was what the there was the 360 video of Lando. Oh, crazy 360 video. All right. We got to talk about the 360 video. So I don't think they've ever released any promotional stuff like this before. This is silly enough, almost in a way like the, the Denny's commercial where it's stuff from the movie, but not actually the movie. But they kind of, I think, recreated one of the scenes from the movie in full 360 degree 
VR with the camera in the center of the table and you can just kind of pan around and watch Han and Lando playing cards with their crew of amazing puppet aliens. I don't know how many times you watch this, but I watched it like six times in a row when it came out because there's just like you got to watch it in every direction at least once. Oh, there's so much good stuff in there. I watched it once where all I did, I had it on the Therm Scissor Punch camera where I just tilted the phone so you just only watch the Therm Scissor Punch reactions. Scissor Punch is great. He smashes a glass. He gets angry. I don't know. It's just, it's cool as a promotional thing. And I think it's also pretty amazing as this, it's like live action, 360 degree puppetry, which you don't see that every day because I think all these guys are on set animatronic guys in suit puppet things. And they're all acting together at the same time, interacting the six eye guy. I don't know if you notice like his eyes move independently and like sometimes he'll look at Han with one set of one set of three eyes and he'll look at Lando with the other set um giant hands bubblehead guy is becoming a new favorite with uh he doesn't even know oh <laughs> uh, I hope they make a big like doll you can hug and you hug him and he says he doesn't even know <laughs> did you look at any of the guys in the background too like if you look behind Lando I didn't catch this until the 10th time in uh kira and chewie are standing back there watching i did once where i was just i was just looking at the ceiling you can just watch the ceiling if you look straight down you can just look at the chips there's like a iguana man with with tree hair in the background there's some awesome conan the barbarian bearded fur wearing dudes uh there's two hairless hamster people drinking wine or beer giggling the goat man's back there. There's so much good stuff. There's that guy, the alien, who's wearing the, the Chewbacca hoodie. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed that? Just like the, it's like the furry Chewbacca sweatshirt you can buy. I swear he's just wearing that. He's got like a monocle and like some burned lizard face or something. It's, it's just some dude that wandered onto the set. Yeah. There's an old lady just sitting down. I'm really uh, digging the uh, astronaut space man woman with like welding goggles playing cards who doesn't seem very good just sitting there watching the game bootleg zuvio's doing like finger tricks with the chips he's like twirling them around his fingers so much good stuff in here there's like new tv spots every single day it's like impossible to keep up with all the tv spots there was chewy at the the hologram chess table <laughs> arguing with beckett yeah, that little bit. There's some good stuff. We got a new Lando shirt spotting. Yeah, mm -hmm. Lando wearing a different shirt. That kind of blew my mind because that solved the mystery of there was that drawing going around that kind of looked like weird concept art of like a flying manta ray ship in front of a sun. And we're like, oh, what is that? What is this a new V? Is this a Wookiee vehicle? What is it? And it looks like it's just a design for the print on Lando's ridiculous t-shirt so maybe there'll be a lando clothing collection at target yeah, tickets went on sale i got tickets you got tickets we all got tickets everybody got tickets tickets are selling really well we're in solo overload and we didn't even talk about the stuff on the star wars show with george lucas visiting the set yeah. <laughs> that's how much solo yeah. stuff is going on that we even forgot to talk about footage of lucas wearing a blue plaid shirt hanging out on the set with the chess table joking around with ron howard that's how serious solo has gotten right now they're trying to keep us from the truth that lucas is in the wild looking great 
Normally, we would have talked about nothing but that, but there's so much solo stuff that we can't even concentrate on what matters. We're too distracted. It's coming at us from every direction. The most eagerly awaited arcade game of the year, the brand new Star Wars. Sound familiar? Let's check out the action. Now, as Luke Skywalker, your mission is to reach the Death Star and find the tiny exhaust port that's the only spot vulnerable to your proton torpedo. This machine was supposed to be ready for the summer opening of Return of the Jedi, but just now is arriving. However, it doesn't need the tie-in with the film to make it a success. And like the Force, this Star Wars game will be with you Always. All right, so let's talk about one of the first and possibly one of the greatest Star Wars video games ever made, the fantastic 1983 Star Wars arcade game, a game that somehow managed to both create a new era of gaming, of Star Wars games, and at the same time, possibly usher in the end of an era <laughs> of video games in general. Gabe, do you remember playing this game as a kid? I do, but I want to say in Muskegon, where we grew up, there wasn't a lot of it. I can't even remember. I know I played it a few times, but I can't remember where because kind of by my house, there was a little movie theater that had a couple arcade games. They didn't have it. There was a actual full-on kind of arcade place down the street had a bunch of games they didn't have it so i don't know do you where did you remember playing it because i probably played it where you did back in the 80s there was an arcade in the muskegon mall that was right next to the toy store okay i don't remember playing it there but i do remember going to showbiz pizza where if you younger folks out there don't know showbiz pizza go look up uh, the rock of fire explosion band on youtube yeah get ready for that but I remember Showbiz Pizza had the sit-down one. And I remember being like, oh, my God. <laughs> what, what is this? We're <laughs> <laughs> like eight years old and our voice drops. Oh, my God. I sat down a boy. I came out a man. It, there were so many innovations with this game. Yeah, I mean, it was for all of purposes as far as you could tell it was in it was three-dimensional like you were really moving through 3d space it had sound effects and voices and, and music it was intense for uh what 1984 three three so right yeah right after jedi it was it wasn't really the first big licensed movie arcade game i I don't know. I mean, Tron was a big deal but you know I say that Tron was a big deal Tron was not Star Wars Tron was Tron. <laughs> but the Tron arcade game was was pretty hot, and I know I played that one a lot, too. So it was a big deal as far as arcades go back then. Hot and hard. Yeah. Hard and hot. Yes. A 2H warning on that Tron arcade game. <laughs> but this was the first Star Wars arcade game, and it was, aside from the Parker Brothers, Empire Strikes Back, Atari 2600 cartridge, this was the first big star wars video game release ever nothing against that empire game i think i think jedi arena was also before this it could be yeah i want to i feel like that came on around the same time as the empire strikes back one but 
could be wrong. Which I was a huge fan of Jedi Arena, and later in life I learned I'm the only person. So <laughs> I thought it was the greatest game ever made for quite a long time. I, I don't hold it against you. But it was, yeah, was mind-blowing. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was one of those games that was 50 cents, so you knew it was for real. You knew it was serious. You didn't take it lightly. <laughs> it was a commitment. So there was a great article on this, this site, arcadeblogger.com, by this guy, Tony Temple. And he gave a little bit of background on it. The actual game started as a completely different game called Warp Speed. And this is a game this guy, Jed Margolin, had. He worked at Atari, and he wanted to, he really had this like pet project game that he really wanted to do of a 3D space war game. And Atari had him working on stuff like Tube Chase and Battlezone, which wasn't, was Battlezone, was that the game that you looked into like, like a little like tank thing? Yeah, like a little periscope kind of thing. Yeah, Battlezone was basically the same technology of uh, vector graphics, which could kind of uh, approximate three dimensional space. So yeah, definitely Battlezone was a precursor or probably inspiration and a technical stepping stone to getting to the our Star Wars arcade game, yeah. So finally, he got the green light to get his Warp Speed game going. And he got this guy, Greg Riviera, doing programming. And another guy, Mike Halley, as the project leader. So sometime around when they were developing Warp Speed, Atari made a deal with Lucasfilm to make arcade games based on Lucasfilm properties. On the home console market, Parker Brothers had the rights to Star Wars stuff. So Parker Brothers did Empire and they did Jedi Arena and all that stuff. So they were like, well, what can we do and what can we do to get a Star Wars game in the arcades really quickly? And they were like, well, we got this warp speed thing. Let's change that into our first Star Wars arcade game. So they started working really quickly to get this thing out. But because, like I was saying, this is one of the first licensed games, and Lucasfilm 82, 83, this is after the holiday special, they were being really hardcore with approvals of everything. And Atari had never run into that before, with everything every step of the way had to be approved, which is still really how it works to this day. Yeah, and definitely working on licensed projects is definitely uh, problematic for uh, (laughs) when people are trying to work fast. Because, yeah, every step of the way, you're waiting for approvals and feedback from someone who probably doesn't understand how video game development works and the time crunch that they're under. So they got this guy, Jerry Lychek. He was responsible for making the controller, the very iconic Star Wars arcade controller, which even that was an innovation in itself. Yeah, because it wasn't just like a joystick and some buttons. Like it was a full on wheel that you could turn and then it had the the handles that would rotate right for up and down with the fire buttons on the top giving it a very flying a spaceship kind of feel and the synthesized speech was all new and not there's not just like one line in it there's a ton of stuff in this game you got han going to yahoo you got obi-wan and it sounds great use the force loop Let go. What a strong Luke, trust me. Yeah, 
that was reason enough to play the game just to listen to the clips. If you play the sit down version, there were speakers like behind your head. It's like Obi Wan is talking to me. He's really there. (laughs) (laughs) So they were working very, very, very quick to get this thing out. And like we said, every step of the way had to be approved by Lucasfilm. So that guy, Mike Halley, said when they had like the sit down version, they had a prototype of it made with like the colors on it. He put it in the back of a truck and drove it to Lucasfilm just to save time. And then that is what they went with. Like it got approved right away. They drove it back. They came up with then an actual version of the gameplay, which then Lucasfilm had some very interesting notes on changes that had to be made. Great things like there is no gunner in an X-Wing. They're piloted by a single person. Even though it might look dramatic to have the ship move through a star field with the stars getting larger as they approach the player, this would not happen with an exclamation point. If the Death Star can be seen in the distance, it must not be very far. There would not be any stars between the X-Wing and the Death Star. Hmm. Interesting. The shields in Star Wars Universe are made of energy, not metal. The Rebels would quick, would very quickly lose their fight for freedom if the view out the window was obstructed every time they were fired upon. Oh, interesting. So that at some point, maybe there were like opaque shield things popping up? Weird. This one is a st- still a question that people wonder about today. Once the timer is depleted, the pilot shifts to warp speed towards the Death Star's surface. Can warp speed be applied so close to an object? Hmm. Isn't this reserved for long interstellar jumps? Isn't warp drive a term from Star Trek? Well, they got a little better at feedback than uh, Lucas's uh, Lee Brackett comments of, no, no. <laughs> You can't do that. Message 14 says Death Star is X parcels away. We assume they meant parsecs, but this this too wouldn't be right. A parsec is 3.26 light years, a distance much too great for the Death Star to be visible. Even light seconds might be too great a distance since a light second, the distance light travels in one second, is about... 190 258 miles they weren't messing around could you i think you could imagine getting notes like this (laughs) when you're just trying to make a video game i've been there (laughs) (laughs) if that really happens so after 18 months just 18 months the game was finally ready people were freaking out at atari as the big man george lucas himself was coming to test the game at Atari's factory in Sunnyvale, California. Lucas showed up wearing a plaid shirt and jeans, as he does, and played the game and personally gave it the thumbs up. And thankfully, someone was there to document the whole thing because there are amazing photos of Disco 1983 Lucas with his giant hair sitting in the cabinet playing the game. We can kind of almost add these to our... Our list of George Lucas sitting on things. So it's not quite riding a do-back, but he is sitting on something. They gave him the cabinet that he played with a plaque on the side that said a special thanks for creating the force behind so much fun. Where is that now? I don't think it's still in his house. Man, what if that's in the lobby of the Lucas Museum? 
Ooh, you can come in and look at all the Norman Rockwells, or you can play the Star, Car- Star Wars arcade game. Red <laughs> five, I'm going in. They had like a big press launch for it. Um, that Greg Riviera guy was interviewed on film going over the key elements of the game during this big press launch. The first innovation that we've introduced is the Star Wars flight controller that not only involves both hands for accurate positioning and aiming, but also is a very non-fatiguing control because it is human engineered. It's angled to handle the arms in the standard position of the hands, and it's downsized for most of the population to use. Another obvious feature that's involved is where we've amplified what our vector generator capabilities are. The TV screen runs at about twice our previously fastest speed. The computer inside, we use about four processors all interlinked. Some of them operate the sound, some operate the vector graphics, some operate the math, uh, rotation, pitch, yaw, to do a full three-dimensional, you're in the center of the universe flying one of the uh, X-Wings through the uh, Star Wars universe. The game itself, once it hit arcades in 1983, it was a huge hit. It was a very, very expensive game to make, and it was a very, very expensive game for arcades to have. I think every single cabinet was almost $1,500 for an arcade, which, you know, in 1983... It's a lot of money. So you can play Dragon's Lair a lot for... <laughs> $1,500. And it was so ex- it was so important, too, because in 1983, video games were starting their decline. The arcade market was kind of dying. People are starting to think this whole thing is a fad. And Atari had a lot of shareholders who were like, well, don't tell me that this thing is going to die out. I thought this was in for keeps, you know. Atari's vice president of marketing at the time, this guy Don Osborne, did a video at that press event where he was talking about that very thing, where the interviewer was asking him, like, is this game going to save Atari? Is the demise of video games greatly exaggerated? Well, I think it is. I think it's part of not understanding the industry and and not understanding uh, two things that, that the industry is really a part of. One, that it's an entertainment form, and entertainment forms typically... Uh, have peaks and valleys, and secondly, it's very, very much attached to a dynamic technology base, which can drive it forward at any time. We think this is a step in the right direction. But Dom, why would one want to go into an arcade, play Star Wars, when you've got so many sophisticated games at home that you can use on your own TV set? And I want to emphasize that word, so many. Maybe you're just getting into a crowded market right now. I think that the value that Star Wars offers the game player is probably a state-of-the-art experience as far as video games are concerned because there's truly not the home product that can offer this experience. But more importantly, there's a lot of us Star Wars buffs have been been waiting around for about six years now to be Luke Skywalker Mm -hmm. in a very interactive, personal way, and this uh, provides that opportunity. The video game market is a market that uh, has uh, reached uh, some difficult times recently, obviously. Uh, but we think that uh, the ability for that marketplace to, to revive itself does exist and must start with the coin-op area. But the coin-op area is where the great, great, great games begin. They're where the home games that are very successful evolve from. And so if we can establish successful products at this level of the business, going on to the consumer side of the business is uh, pretty much assured for us. Look at the size of that thing. 
So Atari sold about 12,000 Star Wars cabinets in total. And when they were making about $1,000 per cabinet, they made a lot of money off this game, even though it really was towards the end of their run. But out of this time, during this time, it was the the start of the Atari-Lucasfilm relationship with the first Lucasfilm game made for, I think it was for the Atari 7800, was the game nobody ever talks about, Ball Blazer. Do you remember Ball Blazer? Did you have Ball Blazer? Well, I might have, you know what? I might have had it. I think it eventually came out on the NES. I think I played it then, and I know I had a, I did have at least one friend, I think, who had a 7800, so I may have played it a couple times at his place. I never, I've never known anyone that ever had a 7800. Yeah, I had one friend, and I think he was like the weird friend who didn't have a 2600, but somehow had the 7800. It's the, the friend of the future. <laughs> Where do you come from, future friend? What is this sorcery? So the interesting thing with Lucasfilm Games at that time, but because they had licensed out Star Wars to Parker Brothers, and I think Indiana Jones was to Atari, Lucasfilm Games couldn't make any games based on Lucasfilm properties. So they just kind of had to do their own stuff. They did Ball Blazer. And they did a game called Rescue on Fractulous, which I'm still waiting for Fractulous to show up in a in a Force of the Destiny cartoon. It won't be long. But this so Howard Scott Warshaw did Rares of the Lost Ark for the Atari, which is a classically frustrating game. Impossible. With with Howard Scott Warshaw, then that leading to him infamously working on E.T., the extraterrestrial for the 2600 which i beat et i did too yeah you know that's like jedi arena for me the et for the 2600 ruled my life for an entire summer and i beat it and i remember like pretty much just throwing down my like atari like paddle thing and like walking out into my parents backyard (laughs) and feeling like i've just accomplished (laughs) the impossible mission yeah i it's it only happened once, and sometimes I think it was a dream, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was real. That yeah, that I there weren't a lot of Atari 2600 games that you could even finish, but I'm pretty sure I finished that one. I hovered out of a lot of wells. That's what you had to do in the summers in the 1980s. You walk around, you fall in a well, you make your neck long, you hover out of it, and you do it again. But as much as we loved the E.T. game, which, again, we're the only people. It's like Jedi Arena. The E.T. game almost single-handedly brought down the home video game market at that time. The infamous E.T. game at this point. And with the downfall of the home video game market, down went Atari. And people thought that this video game thing was done. Yep, it was a fad. It's over. Kids don't want to play that garbage anymore. (laughs) Atari was losing as much as $10,000 a day sometime in between 1983 and 1985. Atari, though, had great plans for the future of Star Wars arcade games. They actually had mock-ups for like an almost sequel to the Star Wars arcade game that would have been a sit-down speeder bike game based on Return of the Jedi. It would have been amazing, but sadly, it just never was able to happen. But we did get the Empire Strikes Back uh, version of the Star Wars arcade game, right? That actually came out. That did come out, yeah. And there was the impossibly hard 
Return of the Jedi game. That may have had some hand into uh, killing video games because that game is impossible. <laughs> so at Celebration Orlando at the 501st party, in the back corner, it was the most awesome thing ever. This had like a Star Wars retro arcade section, which I played the Star Wars arcade game for about two hours. But I saw some person from the 501st who may have been a living legend, may, may not have even been real, may have been a ghost, who was actually going really far at the Return of the Jedi arcade game. Really? Yes, I was watching it, and I think I said <laughs> to the person, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Oh, my God, you actually got past the Endor part. <laughs> and I think the guy just said something like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I missed that. That's, that's pretty incredible. Because, yeah, the couple times I played that, I was like, yep, this is why I don't ever play this game. I just immediately hit a tree. I was in the zone because I, I, I was playing Star Wars Arcade and I blew up the Death Star like 44 times. And I was like, well, clearly I'm in the zone tonight. So I'm going to try my magic at Return of the Jedi Arcade. Nope. Uh, you thought you were a Jedi, but not a Jedi yet. Well, Star Wars Arcade still stands. You still play it today. And it's and it was like at the the end of the arcade era, one of the last amazing games of that era before our kind of arcades kind of had their renaissance and like almost 10 years later with uh, fighting games and stuff. Well, I think one of the things that's so cool about it and makes it still exciting to play is because the technology they used with the vector graphics is pretty much the same technology they used to do the video from R2's plans of how they were going to blow up the Death Star, since that was all kind of simulated vector graphics. It feels like you're in a X-Wing simulator kind of in-universe for A New Hope. So even playing it today, it's like, oh, this is what the X-Wing pilots would have trained on kind of a thing like it's you know stylistically it fits in with the universe so it doesn't really feel dated even though it's a 40 year old technology there's just something about it and i don't know if it's like the charm of it the music there's something that it's a 40 year old game and it seems like such a product of its time but it's also it's like watching star wars it's just charming in its own timeless and yet old-fashioned weird at the same time weird way where it's something, if yeah, like if you play the Return of the Jedi game, you don't have that feeling. <laughs> you just want to kill, kill somebody. You have no feelings. Yeah. And it looks like, okay, this looks like an old school 8-bit graphic-y kind of game where, yeah, there's just something timeless about Star Wars Arcade. And you got to give it up to the Star Wars Arcade game because it was the first great Star Wars video game. Again, sorry, 2600 Empire Strikes Back fans. I don't know if that's on anyone's great Star Wars game list. I'm sure it's on somebody's, but two hours into the Empire game waiting for it to change. What am I going to get to the next stage? <laughs> I've, I've killed 40 ad-ads. Come on. Without that Star Wars arcade game, where would Star Wars video games be? Would we have Battlefront with all the things that are happening today? And yeah, I mean, almost every Star Wars game worth its Weight in Star Wars has done its own take on the attack on the Death Star and started with this game. Everybody wants to sit in an X-Wing and that hasn't changed. Press five and board in. I'm on the leader. Are you trying to increase the power? You are entering a battlefield of the future. The Star Wars Jedi Arena 
Becoming a Jedi Master takes practice. Using your lightsaber, try to penetrate your opponent's defenses. But watch out! The Whirling Seeker can attack on its own. So follow your instincts. Ah, now you're ready to take on any challenger who dares to oppose you. Play the Jedi Arena home video game. Alone or head-to-head, -head, the challenge awaits you. From Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. What's up, Jason and Gabe? It's uh, Taylor Gray, uh, excuse me, Ezra Bridger here, Spectre 6, uh, reporting into Blast Points Podcast. Just wanted to say what's up, and uh, may the force be with you. See you guys. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. All right, so iTunes review. We say it every single week. Leave one, write something nice about the show and we will read it on an upcoming episode and check us out on blastpointspodcast.com where you can check on episodes comics recipes you can buy t-shirts you can download the theme music send us an email at contact at blastpointspodcast.com check us out on facebook instagram twitter and keep downloading the podcast wherever you download your podcasts Keep subscribing, keep sharing it out to friends. That's how it makes this whole thing grow, because it's springtime. <laughs> yeah, shower your friends with blast points, rain, so new listener seeds will grow. <laughs> <laughs> and next week we're going whole solo, oh solo, all next week as we start to get closer and closer to May 25th. And for folks out in the Pacific Northwest area, or even not for anyone, there might be some news coming up with some surprises in Seattle. Maybe. <laughs> some, some blast points, something going on very soon in Seattle. We will keep you posted on stuff that may be coming. In Seattle. We don't live in Seattle. Hmm. But there might be some blast points something. So maybe we're starting a grunge band. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's something else. We'll find out. Stay tuned for that. Does it have anything to do with the, the little commercial people heard at the beginning of the episode? Possibly. On that note, that about <laughs> wraps up number 122. Thank you, folks, for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.